Hey there, welcome back to another episode of the Online Marketing Made Easy Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Porterfield, and today we have an extra special episode because I am answering your questions. Not too long ago on Instagram, I posted the question, what would you like to know about how I built my business? And I got a flood of questions from all of you. So thanks in advance for your enthusiasm and your really thoughtful questions. So many good ones. I only chose 10 for this episode, but you can be sure that we'll be doing a few of these types of all answer all your questions episodes so that we can get to even more of them. Now, before I dive into the 10 questions, I wanted to give a listener shout out. And this listener shout out is from The Slay Coach. So The Slay Coach wrote on iTunes, Amy has been my biz bestie for years and she didn't know it. I have built a quarter of a million dollar business in my first year. And so much of this is because I listened to this amazing podcast. The strategy and tactical points are the highest value of any online educator out there. I am the mentor and coach I am today because of this show. Oh my goodness. So the Slay Coach, I don't know your first name, but first of all, congratulations on your success. And I am truly honored to be a little part of your journey. So that is just so awesome to hear what you've done in just such a short time. I love it. So I'd love to hear from you as well. All you got to do is leave a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast, and you just might hear a shout out from me on one of my episodes. Okay, I won't make you wait any longer. Let's go ahead and jump into the 10 listener questions. Question number one, if you burned it all down and started over, what are the first three things you'd focus on and do now? So when I read this question, I thought this is so interesting that it's coming in now because a couple episodes back, I shared with you that in 2018, I got out of my partnership. It was a mutual decision and it was a big deal. And it took a long time to get to a place that we really felt good about separating. And there was a moment during that year when we were working on the negotiations and what was going to change and how we were going to do it that I thought, what if I had to start all over? What if this negotiation doesn't work and I just had to start from scratch? It was a very unlikely situation, but I was kind of looking at like worst case scenario. And what was really cool was that in that moment, I thought, well, I know how to make money online. And since I know how to make money online, I could always start over, whether it be in a different niche or the same one, or whether it be selling something different than digital courses, just knowing how to make money online, having a really good understanding of the ins and outs, which is what you all are doing right now when you are consuming podcasts like mine and you're reading up on business books and you're taking online courses, you're understanding the ins and outs of building a business online and making money online. Well, that's something that no one can ever take away from you. And so it gave me this sense of confidence, like if worst case scenario, I had to start over, I could. And that felt really good. And it was the first time I ever had to look at things like that. And thankfully, it didn't come to that. But it was just an interesting, calming feeling. And I, and I want you to allow yourself to feel that as well when things feel scary to you or maybe they're not working out as planned. If you know how to make money online, you can always start over. 
I truly believe that. Now, to answer your question a little bit more specifically, if I were to start all over, funny enough, and this is truly, truly how I feel, I would do exactly what I teach. I would focus on building an email list. I would then create a digital course And I would then launch that digital course with live launches twice to maybe three times. And then I would put that course on Evergreen. And I would focus on that one course for probably a good two years before I decided to create anything else. Now, funny enough, if I look back on how I did things, that was not how I did it. So If I went back to do it all over again, I wouldn't do it exactly how I did it. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And so let me tell you how it looked when I was first starting out. First, after I did my two years of consulting, because I didn't know how to create a digital course and I wanted a digital course, but there weren't a lot of courses on courses back in the day when I started. So I didn't know what to do. And so I was very scared I wasn't going to make enough money. So I took a bunch of clients. You guys know my story for two years. I did social media consulting and coaching, and I did the actual social media for small businesses. And I hated it. And I had about eight clients at a time was not my specialty for sure. So after two years, I transitioned into selling digital courses. But here's the thing. Once I transitioned into selling digital courses, this is how I did it. I launched my first course without validating the idea. And I really didn't have the expertise in the area that I was teaching, which was social media book launching. And I had worked with authors, but I had never launched my own book. So I don't know why I chose that. Well, I do know why I chose it. I felt like I needed to niche myself like really quickly. I needed to be known for something. So I picked social media and book launching. I don't know. Looking back, it seems crazy, but at the time it made sense. So I launched my first course. I didn't validate it. Did not have an email list. Next, I launched my second course without an email list or with a really, really, really small one. I think there were 600 people on my email list and I did not engage with them. They hadn't heard from me in months before I sent them an invite and said, come join me on my webinar. Not ideal. And so two courses launched, two failures. And then I decided maybe I should focus on growing my email list. So after those two failed launches, I got smart. So looking back, I would not do it that way again. There were a lot of tears, a lot of frustrations, a lot of fear that I'd have to go back and get a J-O-B because it wasn't working. However, if I started all over again, I would focus on building my email list. I would be posting at least once a week, whether it be a podcast, a blog, or a video show. I would choose podcast again, definitely. So I'd create my platform on my podcast. I would post on my podcast once a week. I would email my list, no matter if it had 10 people on it or a thousand people on it. I'd start emailing every single week, letting them know that I have a new podcast episode out. And then I would be doing Facebook lives or Instagram lives or both every single week. And I wouldn't care if no one was there because I would do it for the experience And I would do it to get better at delivering my content and honing in on my message and engaging with my audience. And I would do it and I would do it and I would do it till it worked because it will work if you really focus on attracting the right audience and honing in on that message and making sure that you're always adding value before you ask anything in return. So consistency, something I didn't have in those early days, would definitely be something that I would focus on a lot 
if I started over. And then after I had been building my list for a while, maybe have a few thousand people on my list max. I don't think you need a huge list to launch a course. I'd start validating a course idea, something I teach in Digital Course Academy, how to validate your idea. I'd validate my idea and I'd start to create my course. And then from there... I would, of course, sell it with webinars and live launching. Now, one thing that I would do while I was creating my course or really right before I created my course while I was list building, I would work one-on-one with a few people, whether they pay me or I would do it for free. I would just get in the trenches and make sure I had that time working with people. Even though I hated the two years of doing one-on-one consulting before I launched courses, The time in the trenches with them was invaluable. I didn't know it and I didn't have a good attitude about it. So I would change that moving forward, but I needed to do the work. I needed to get in there. I needed to see where they struggled, what they needed, what they were up against. I needed to understand my ideal customer avatar. Working with them one-on-one gave me that understanding. You don't need to do it for a long time, but it is important that you do it with a few clients so you really learn firsthand what they need and what they want. So that's what I would do if I started over. Question number two, what did you do when your email list was tiny? I mean, less than 100 like mine. How did you interact with your small community? So I thought about this question for a while. And one thing that came to mind was that I underpromised and I overdelivered. I was constantly looking for ways to wow my audience. One way I did that was around Thanksgiving. And I had a list of probably 300 people. And I emailed my list and I let them know what I was most thankful for. And then I asked them to respond to the email and let me know what they are most thankful for. And I'm going to guess about a hundred people responded, which is a really high percentage, which happens when your email list is small. You have a lot of really good engagement because you can be more personal and more engaging and more available to them. So about 100 people responded, and I responded to every single person that sent me an email letting me know what they were grateful for. And it wasn't like, hey, thanks, so great to hear from you, copy-paste. It was something meaningful to every single one of the subscribers that responded to that request for what they're grateful for. And it took me about three days to get through all of them, but I did. And that's exactly what I would do. Take advantage of the opportunities of a small email list. You can get on the phone with many of them. You could do 20-minute Q&A sessions one-on-one with them. You can be available to them in ways that you will never be able to be available to your email list when there are thousands or hundreds of thousands of people on your email list. So treat them with extra special care because you can, and you likely have more time now than you ever will when your business gets bigger. And so take advantage of this. Like I said, get on the phone with them, respond to their emails. When they reach out to you, you reach back out to them. Let them know that they are heard and that you actually care. You have a huge opportunity when your email list is small, but unfortunately, so many of my students are so bummed that their email list is so small that they can't get past that. 
So they choose to focus on, oh, my email list is not growing. It's so small. I don't have time to, to spend on making it bigger. Like, what do I do? Can you give me some more strategies to grow my email list? And I should probably start asking those students, what are you doing now for those that are on your email list? How are you making them feel extra special? I can promise you they are going to be the people that are customers for life. I see names on my email list and I know that they were with me 10 years ago. It's incredible. And they're still with me now. And some of them I know are there on my list because they felt like they got extra special attention from me in the early years. It makes a difference. Go out of your way to wow them. Question number three, when you have multiple awesome projects you're working on, how do you prioritize? P.S. Love your podcast, all of your freebies, and your courses course. Well, thank you so much. I'm totally bummed. We messed up and we grabbed all these questions without grabbing your names. And I would love to say whoever sent this, thank you so much, Sally, or whatever your name is, but we messed up and I wanted to make sure I got this recorded today to stay on track. So just know that It wasn't intentional not to give you all a shout out. We'll do better next time. Okay, so this question, what do you do when you have multiple projects you're working on? First of all, I make sure that I'm not working on too many projects. In an ideal situation, there's one core project we're working on, and then we might have two or three kind of sideline projects that my team is working on when they have time, but it's not the number one focus. So when you do have multiple projects, make sure that you are very clear what is the number one priority? What should get your team's most attention in your attention? And so like for right now, when I'm recording this, by the time it goes live, the launch will be over. But our number one focus is Digital Course Academy launch in January. That is our number one focus. If everything was not working out, the one thing that has to be on track is that launch process and the planning and everything we're doing for it. And so there's always one clear project we're working on. So that's one thing I would really encourage you to do inside of your business, even if it's just you right now, like you don't even have a team, get clear with yourself. And then of course, when you have a team, get really clear with your team. The second thing is that a couple of years into my business, I wish I did this sooner, we adopted a project management tool. I think when we first started out, oh gosh, I can't remember what, I think we might've used Basecamp, I can't remember, but we now use Asana, A-S-A-N-A, and I have used Asana for years and years. And the one thing I can tell you about project management tools is not one tool is going to be perfect. So don't do what I did in the early days. I kind of flip flop through a few of them. That's why I can't even remember some of the names because we used a few in the early years. And I was always searching for something better. I thought the grass was greener, like this tool does that, or this tool does that. If you use some of the tools that some of the top marketers recommend, they're all pretty good. And so Trello, Basecamp, Asana, those are three that either I've used or my friends use consistently and they work well. Now I'm partial to Asana. I think it is top notch, like one of the best tools I've used. And we probably should reach out to them and see if they want to be sponsored on the podcast because I could talk about them forever. But here's the thing. I needed to get a project management tool that I used 
consistently. Because in the early days, I told my team to use it, but then I wasn't checking in on that tool consistently. Now it's every day. In the morning, I check in to Asana. I look at all my tasks. I look at all the communication where people are waiting for me to respond. I knock it out. Then I go on with my day. And when I wrap up my day, I'm back in Asana, making sure I did all the tasks that I've been assigned by my integrator, Chloe, or I've assigned them to myself. And I've answered any questions that have come up in the communication. So this is a religious thing inside my business. We are there every single day and it's changed how we manage projects. So I believe no matter where you are in your business, if you're day three of your business or year three, you should definitely invest in a project management tool. And many of them are free when you're just getting started and you have a small team. So that is definitely one of the things that have saved us from a lot of stress and overwhelm, and you just got to use it every single day. I know you're focused on marketing and selling your digital products, but I know many of you also have physical products, and I want to talk about Shopify. Shopify is a user-friendly commerce platform that helps you, my dear online entrepreneur, build an online store and make more sales at any stage of your business. They're the force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other businesses at every size. Let me tell you why Shopify is an online entrepreneur's dream platform. It's because it helps turn your browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout experience. In fact, it converts 36% better compared to other leading e-commerce platforms. Yeah, loving that. And I don't know about you, but as an online entrepreneur, my customer's experience, especially when it comes to checking out, is so important. Plus, not only do they support your customers, they support you as the entrepreneur. Shopify's award-winning help desk is there to support your success through every question and every step of the way. There's a reason Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash made easy, all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash made easy now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash made easy. We are online marketers, which means we have unique needs. And there are so many options out there for paid media. Sometimes it's hard to figure out where should you go to reach your ideal audience. But here's the thing. Have you thought about LinkedIn ads? LinkedIn ads empowers marketers with solutions for you and your customers, and it allows you to build the right relationships and drive results and reach your customers with meaningful content. You do not want to sleep on LinkedIn ads. And here's the thing, 79% of content marketers said LinkedIn produces the best results for paid media. I hear it from so many of my peers, and I know you're doing important work. And with that, you wanna make sure that the work you're doing is getting in front of the right people. And that's what LinkedIn ads will allow you to do. So let your marketing efforts connect with the right audience and get a $100 credit on your next campaign. So if you go to linkedin.com slash Amy, you can get that $100 credit. So that's linkedin.com slash Amy. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, question number four. In hindsight, what is the one thing you wish you would have done sooner? 
So to my loyal listeners, can you guess? I bet you can guess. What's the one thing that I've always said, I really wish I did this sooner? Drum roll, please. List building. So I mentioned this earlier, so I won't go down the rabbit hole again, but I waited two years to focus on growing my email list. And then even after that, it was slow coming until I really said, okay, I've had enough pain of launching a digital course and no one paying attention because I didn't have an engaged email list. Maybe I should start doing something about this. I wish that on day one, I said, okay, I'm going to grow my email list. The strength of your business is directly tied to the quality of your email list. The strength of the business is directly tied to the quality of your email list, not the quality of your social media, not the quality of Instagram or Facebook, but to your email list. It's a direct reflection of how well your business is doing. I'm telling you, it makes a huge difference when you actually put the focus there. And it only takes one decision. Like you can say right now, that's it. I'm done with struggling when I'm launching or trying to get something out there. I'm going to grow my email list and you start to do it. Question number five, how do you set boundaries for quality family time and one-on-one time? So I chose this question because this is where I really need to be open and honest with you like I am all the time. But for this one, I want you to hear me that I don't do this very well. And it's something that I work on every single day. So Hobie you guys know the love languages, right? Hobie's love language, my husband, is quality time. And mine is acts of service. So if he does the dishes or takes out the trash, he is incredibly sexy to me. (laughs) But if I sit down in the morning, no matter what I have going on, and I drink a cup of coffee with him for 30 minutes, he is in bliss. It's all he wants. 30 minutes of my morning. And that sounds so easy, right? But because of his firefighter schedule, he gets home some mornings because he's 24 on, 24 off at around 8.39 in the morning when I have been going for at least an hour and I am deep into the work. So I need to stop, come downstairs, brew some coffee and sit down with my husband. And I love him more than anything in this entire world. I think he is the most amazing man I've ever met. And I believe we have the most beautiful marriage ever. I truly do. I I can't even believe I've gotten so lucky with that man. And still, on many days, I would choose work. And I'm embarrassed to say that. And I sound like a horrible person when I do, but I'm on a mission And if you listen to my podcast about my impossible goal, I've got some big goals for this year. And every day I am focused on just knocking them out. And to be quite honest, and this is something that Rachel Hollis said in her book, Girl, Wash Your Face, and it really resonated with me. I am the most secure and the most comfortable when I'm working. Like I've got that. Like that's my jam. When it comes to running around and getting Cade to wrestling and then making sure I show up here and going to pick up school supplies and and getting dinner on the table, I'm not the best at all of that. Now, I'm also a stepmom, so it kind of throws in a little weirdness with all of that as well. So I have to work more on my family time and balance more so than I do in terms of sitting down and getting the work done. I can check off a list like a boss, 
but making extra time for Hobie, I have to be very mindful of that. And when I do it, and I do it very consistently because it is important to him, and if it's important to him, it's important to me, I do it very consistently with him. And when I do it, I just have to plan for it. And I have to remember that all of this business stuff wouldn't even mean a thing if I went to bed at night and he wasn't there. So that's how I do it. I I book the time. I get very clear with myself what really is important. And I remind myself that, yes, I like to gravitate toward the work because it's comfortable and easy for me, but that's not what life's about. So that's the honest truth about all of that. And it doesn't make me sound too fantastic, but that's my truth. Okay. Question number six. I want to know if you've ever veered off course, and if so, How did you know when it was time to get back on course or go ahead in that different direction? Okay, so the truth is I really thought about this one. I've never really veered off course, but I also am very blessed with this ability to not chase shiny objects. That's just never been my thing. Now, on the flip side, I also stay comfortable too long something I talked about literally in last week's episode about setting big goals. So I tend to stay comfortable and do what I do best. And so veering off course wasn't really part of my story because I just kept in my lane and kept going. And so it served me well in so many ways. But when you asked this question, I wish I knew your name. When you asked this question, um, I thought about it and I thought, well, I haven't veered off course, but I've definitely said yes to projects for the wrong reasons. And I think that is kind of a form of going in the wrong direction. I've said yes to projects for all the wrong reasons. And in a minute, I'm going to tell you those wrong reasons. But to answer your question specifically, I think when you veer off course and you need to decide, okay, wait, should I get back on course Or should I go in this new direction that I veered off of into? So do I go with the new direction or stay with what I know? And the question really is, you've got to get clear on what you're doing and why you're doing it. What is your business going to look like? And if you get clear on your why and you get clear on who you're serving and how you're serving them, it becomes very clear what direction you should go. And ask yourself, am I going in this new direction because I got bored or because I needed something more exciting or was I chasing the money? Why did you move in this new direction? And then get honest with yourself. Again, what is your why? Who are you serving and how are you serving them? And if all of that feels very clear to you, you will know your direction. If it doesn't, you got some work to do and you got to really search for that why and make sure that you know who you're serving and why you're serving them and how you're serving them. When I say how, I mean, for me, the way I serve you all is I create digital courses teaching you how to grow your email list, create a digital course, and launch it with live webinars and evergreen webinars. That's how I teach you what to do. So the how is important as well. Now, to get back to saying yes to projects for the wrong reasons, that might have been the reason why you got off course. And for me, it's either FOMO, fear of missing out. The other day, Hobie said something about FOMO. And I said, how do you even know what that means? Where did you hear that? Hobie doesn't know stuff like that. He's like, oh, I saw it on Facebook. So I thought I would try it out. I'm like, please don't. But anyway, FOMO, fear of missing out. Or I've said yes to projects for the wrong reasons. One wrong reason being money. I knew it was going to bring in a lot of money. 
So I said, okay, I'll do it. And I'll give you an example of that in a minute. And then the other one that most of us do not admit, but this is very big for many of you because I've seen it and definitely true for me in some situations, ego. We say yes due to ego. Okay, so let's just talk about ego first. An example of me saying yes to something that gets me off track is related to ego is when I've said yes to speaking gigs because I wanted to be on stage in front of a big audience. And how I knew it was ego versus getting on that stage for the right reason to get my message out there to my audience to help them build their courses and launch them is because when I looked out into the audience, it was not my audience. How many of you have gotten on a stage, whether it's a big stage, like a lot of people in the audience or not, doesn't matter. You've traveled somewhere, you've gotten on that stage and you looked out and you realized, these are not my people. Why am I here? And if you just want to be there, Many times, not all times, maybe you just want the practice. That's cool. But many times we say yes to things like that because it fuels our ego. Look at me getting to speak at this big event. Aren't I important? This is, this is my experience. So I won't put it on you, but it's taken me away from the work. It's taken me away from my family. Travel time is dead time to many entrepreneurs. Sure, you can get work done on the plane, but just if you add up all the time you're traveling and not in front of your computer getting your best work done or making the videos or putting together the webinar, I'm telling you, it's taking you away from your core work. So make sure that when you do travel, it means something. So ego, saying yes to things because of ego can get you off track. Money as well. I often had fear of not making enough money in the early years. I think that's very normal, but I wish I was just a little bit more mindful about the things I said yes to. And I wish that I charged my clients a little bit more and took fewer clients so I could do quality work for the clients I had versus spread myself too thin. But I just, I was afraid to charge more and I needed the money. So I just stacked it on. And so that definitely kept me in that consulting role way longer than I wanted to be there. It was the fear of not having enough money. And then just the fear of missing out. I have definitely said yes to virtual summits that I was included in or even speaking gigs or being interviewed here or there because my friends were doing it and I wanted to stay relevant and I didn't want to miss out on something big that was happening And it took me away from my core projects that could have made a bigger impact in the lives of my students. So these are hard decisions. This is when we're doing some serious hashtag adulting, when you're saying no, because you know it's not right for what you're building. And I know I'm I'm not even going to get the quote right because I don't even know what it is, but there's a saying out there that if you're not going for that instant gratification. And if you could just stay in the moment and do what is going to serve in the long run, instead of trying to get that quick win right now, you can have so much more longevity in your business. So I really do believe there's truth to that. And it's hard to say no to the things that are around money or FOMO or ego. And those are the things that typically send you in the wrong direction. So the way you decide if you're going in the wrong direction or if you can continue that direction is asking yourself why you're going in that direction in the first place. Okay, number seven, how did you originally grow your podcast audience? What specifically did you leverage or was it purely organic? Much love from Canada. Oh, I love my Canadians. Sending you so much love right back. 
Now, there was one similar question. How long did it take you before your podcast started growing? And what's the best way to spread the word of the podcast? So I thought about this one too, and I had to really kind of dig deep to think about how it all came about. I would say a good two years before I felt that my podcast was really doing amazing things. So it was a good two years of podcasting. And the first year I was not consistent, meaning I maybe was getting one out every three weeks, every month, maybe even longer. I didn't have a posting schedule and it was just something that I did in my business. So after about a year of that, I started to podcast every single week and that I think set me on the fast track. So if you have a podcast, you must, must, must rain or shine, never miss a week. Every single week, same day, same time, you release a podcast episode. Now, if you want to make things go a little faster, if you want to maybe get noticed on iTunes even more or Spotify or wherever, then do more than one a week. See if you can do two a week or throw in a couple bonus episodes each month. The more you do, the better because you're going to get more downloads and that's going to push you out into more audiences. You also want to make sure you are on all the podcast platforms. So iTunes is not the only one that you want to be on. Spotify, iHeartRadio, there's a few others. Google Play, definitely make sure you're on all of them. So definitely weekly or more. And then what I also did is I was very mindful about my podcast episodes. I don't think there's a huge badge of honor in this saying that you like went off the cuff every single episode and you just kind of went with it. I think preparing, even if it's for 20 minutes with a loose outline, is a really good idea. And I believe because I spend so much time preparing for these episodes, thinking about them, planning them, especially the step-by-step episodes I do for all of you, there's hours that go into those before I hit record. And I think that I've gotten such a huge audience because I've been so intentional and mindful about the content, I deeply care about the content in this podcast. And so I think that's helped me immensely. So planning out the episodes, doing them weekly. Also, no matter the size of your email list, you are emailing your list every single week, letting them know you have a brand new podcast that's coming out. To me, that's a must. And then it's a must to get on social media and let people know you have a brand new podcast episode. And heck, if you want to go live on Instagram or Facebook and talk about the episode, that is definitely a good thing. And then from there, I think setting yourself apart from the rest is a great way to get known and seen and heard on these podcast platforms. And the fact that I used to do freebies for almost every podcast episode, that definitely set me apart. I don't do that as much anymore because we just changed our focus and we're we're putting that energy elsewhere in the business. But I did it for a good two years and it helped immensely. And now that I'm only doing it on certain episodes, I definitely have not seen my downloads go down. I've built my loyal audience the numbers are only getting bigger. So for the time that I did it, it really solidified my audience and added immense value. And I still do it, just not as much. So those are some things that have helped me a lot in growing this podcast. Okay, moving on to question number eight. Apart from your weekly consistent content, what moved the success needle for you? I love this question because whoever sent it to me knows me well because they know, okay, I mean, we know that you think we should be doing weekly consistent content. So I'm glad that 
that is a thing that is known and hopefully you're doing it. But beyond that, what has moved the needle for me in terms of success? Another question that was similar, why do you think you've been so successful versus others? What is your special sauce? Okay. This one was really, really, really hard for me. And I walked around the house. I was um, folding towels today and I was walking scout. And those are the two things I was doing while I was thinking of this question. Like, what helped me and why maybe am I still around where others started around the same time as me are no longer in this world, in this online marketing world? Not not this world in general. You know what I mean? Like they're not doing what they started doing in the first place. Like I never see them online anymore. So I, I started to think about that. And I already told you that I care deeply about the content. And I want to bring that up again here because I don't think everyone that's doing what I'm doing cares deeply about the content. I think they care deeply about other stuff in their business, maybe more about community or engagement or whatever it might be. But content is my thing. Meaning if I'm going to teach you something, I'm going to be very mindful in terms of how I teach it and how I present it to you so that I don't waste any of your time, your effort, or your money. And I think my audience knows that, that there's no fluff here. If you're coming to learn how to create courses or grow your email list or webinars, I only teach what I know. So that's another thing that I think sets me apart. I'm not going to teach you anything that I haven't done. I always am going to go before you and try it out. And that way you can trust in me because I'm not just teaching theoretically, I'm teaching stuff that I've actually done. And that also narrows my pool of what I can teach. Like, I'm not going to do a course on Instagram. And I, if I created a course on Instagram, I bet I could make some money, but it wouldn't be the best course because I'm not a pro at Instagram. So I stay in my lane and I teach what I know and I go before you and I hope you can see me as your guide because of that. And that is important to me. Also, I think building really true collaborations with my peers. So when I tell you that I am friends with Jasmine Starr or Rachel Hollis or Michael Hyatt or Marie Forleo, I am never, and please hear me on this, ever doing that to name drop. If I don't have a genuine friendship with someone, if we don't text, if we don't talk on the phone, I don't act as though I'm someone's friend. And so that is one thing that's important to me. Like those people are genuinely core, true blue friends that I could call if everything went awry and I was in a puddle on the floor. But I have other friends outside of the industry, but it's important that I make really solid friendships, not just relationships, but friendships in the industry, because those are the people that get me. When you tell your neighbor who's a dentist, mine really is a dentist, about how a webinar went horribly wrong or the fact that you have tons of support tickets because your audience is mad about XYZ. If someone's not in their your world with you, they do not get it. They can feel bad, but they can't really offer true advice or they can't really sympathize with you at the level that you want them to. And I think that's important. So the relationships I have are very, very, very important to me. And I don't have a bunch of them, but the ones I have, I'm very proud of. And I do think that having peers in the industry that support you help 
helps build up your business. I think it helps immensely. And that's not why I do it, but it's a direct correlation for sure. There's alignment there. And it makes me feel not so alone. And that makes me show up better for you. And so I think that's important. And then the other one that might surprise you is that Facebook advertising going directly to webinar signups, starting from my very early days, put me on the map. And I became known for Facebook marketing early on because I was running tons of Facebook ads to a Facebook marketing webinar over and over and over again. And I think my secret sauce is that I stay with something and I continue to do it over and over and over again. I think this is something that when I think about other people have done this, Marie Forleo is a great example. B-School. I think we're going on nine years this year. I think it's nine. Yeah. She's a great example of someone that's stuck with it. So if you're looking for staying power, if you're looking to be really successful in what you do, you've got to stop chasing the shiny objects and you have to choose that one thing in your business that has gotten you really good success or has that glimmer of this could really work. I've seen some good conversions around it. Now I've got to scale it and focus on it. Let's focus on that one thing and keep doing it over and over and over again. Whether you put it on Evergreen or launch it live or whatever, I don't care. I'm just saying, let's not do 10 different things. I have a friend that flip-flops her ideas all the time, and I've actually had to pull away from our friendship a little because I'm not a very opinionated person. If you don't ask me what I think, I'm likely not going to tell you. And she doesn't ask me what I think, but I feel compelled to be like, you are all over the place. You're driving me nuts and stop asking me questions about this because you're never going to follow through with it. Now, that's not a good friend and I'd never say that, but I started to feel that way. And when I started to feel resentful, I thought I probably should pull away a little bit. But I really think that the staying power is when you choose what's working in your business now and you make it better over and over and over again. And if you feel like you're getting bored, go back to the why and the what and who you're serving and look at those people and the results you're getting for them. There's nothing boring about that. Okay, I'm going to step off my soapbox right now. Sorry about that. Let's get to question number nine. What do you do in the moments when you doubt yourself? So the only advice I have for you here is that you doubt yourself and you stay in motion. Staying in motion gives me the momentum I need and the motivation and the inspiration. I just keep doing. And I know that's so simple. And of course, I listen to inspirational podcasts and I listen to Audible with business books. And like I said, I have a really good peer group in the industry When it comes down to it, when I doubt if I can do something, I just keep doing something. Like I just don't stop. And eventually it gets easier. And eventually I stop doubting myself so much. You've got to listen to the episode that I did last week if you haven't done so already. And sometimes I get my episodes mixed up. So let me just make sure. Yes, it's episode 247. It's called why I've agreed to fail 100 times in 12 months. That's the name of the episode. Why I've agreed to fail 100 times in 12 months. It's episode 247, if you haven't listened to it yet. And in there, I talk about this idea of creating an impossible goal. And I share my impossible goal with you. But also in that episode, I talk about this idea that this year, I wanna get better at failing, 
I am really good at staying in my lane and playing it safe and doing what I do best. And, And like I said, I've already told you that has served me well, but it's also a way to play small. And I think I'm, I'm very, I was going to say I might, I'm not going to use that word. I think I am capable of a whole lot more. I can do bigger things. And so in order for me to do bigger things, I have to be willing to fail over and over and over again. I have to do something knowing I likely won't do it right and won't get the results I want, but I'm still going to do it. That's where I am this year. I'm willing to fail a hundred times, in fact, and listen to the episode and you'll understand why I chose a hundred. But when you say, when I doubt myself, I always doubt myself. I really do. And I just keep doing. And that's my simple advice for you. And finally, question number 10, which mentor do you credit for making the biggest impact in creating the business that you have today? So it's funny because I have a unique relationship with my father. And by unique, I mean, it hasn't always been that great. And as much as I love him dearly, and I know he loves me dearly, we just had a a rough time throughout all of my life with him. So I felt like he was way too hard on me and we didn't really connect. There wasn't like deep communication. And I think that Now that I've gotten older, I can respect him for all he's done and love him for doing the very best that he could. And I know he cares deeply about my sister and I, and that's what matters most. So I'm able to let that go and not live in the past. But despite not having maybe the relationship that I wanted with my dad, one thing that I did take away from that relationship with him is that he was an incredibly hard worker and he put a lot of value in the work that he's done. And he never cut corners. And so that's why when we talk about doing B minus work on this podcast, I'm always like, ah, like my dad would never do B minus work. And everything he did, he did it with intention and he did his very, very best. And I saw that. He was a firefighter, but he also had a side job that he owned a heating and air conditioning business, like blue collar to the bone. But that guy really found value in the work that he did and he did it well. And that is why I do the work I do today and how I do it. I do it well. And the perfect example of that was from my dad. And what I got from my mom was the compassion and the ability to connect with people and read people very quickly and know when they need extra attention and love and support. So I got the best of both worlds. Although it wasn't the perfect relationship, it still really served me well. So if we got personal, those would be the two mentors that have shaped me in the the type of business and the type of entrepreneur I am today. But if I got more specific in terms of a mentor in this business, by far is Marie Forleo, by far. She has become a dear friend, but she wasn't always a friend. She at first was just the leader of a mastermind that I signed up for. And I paid $17,000 for two years in a row to be in her mastermind with a bunch of kick-ass entrepreneurial women. And it changed my life. Marie changed my life because she called me on my stuff. She actually was the first person to tell me, when are you going to start growing your email list? And I'm tired of telling you to do so. She also was the person that said, you need to come out from behind your computer and stop hiding her version of saying you are playing small. 
This was many, many, many years ago, but she gave me the tough love I needed. And so now when I give you all tough love, it might not look so Jersey style like Marie, but when I do it, know that I'm doing it because I knew it changed my life when someone else did it for me. And I'm vowing that I'm going to do it even more for you. When I see you, if you join my small group coaching program this year, or if you join Digital Course Academy when we open it up again, and I see you in the group and you ask a question, and I know that you're playing small with that question, I will promise is my guarantee to you, my commitment to you that I will call you on it. And I'll say, this is a question that shows you're playing small. And that was a gift to me. And she did that early on. And so she is definitely one of my business mentors and now a dear, dear friend. And I love ending with this question because she's going to be on the podcast next week. And I'm so freaking excited about it. And we're she's been on the podcast many, many times. So this time we're changing things up. And I'm going to present to her some core questions that you all have had. But instead of just answering the questions, I'm going to ask her to tell me stories of her students who have struggled with the same thing that you might be struggling with. How did they work their way through it? What does their life look like now? What did it look like then? Like, I want stories. I want the people that have been there and she's got a lot of them. So I thought, why not tell other people's stories, but also help you move past some of those challenges that you're having in your business. And let's get tactical and let's talk about what they did and how they did it. So this is going to be different than any interview I've ever done on this podcast and definitely different than all my episodes that I've done with Marie. I think it's going to be really special and I hope you'll join me next week, episode 249. Okay. So there you have it. Thank you so very much for all the thoughtful questions. I can't wait to do this again. So keep them coming. I love to know what's on your mind. All right. I cannot wait to see you again. Same time, same place next week. Have a good one. Bye for now.